Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible today, I'm going to invite you to the book of James, James chapter 1. We are going to work our way through the book of James um, through this fall. And so I want to invite you to kind of keep that bookmarked or whatever, and uh, we'll study our way through that. Uh, The the, um, kind of subtitle, if you will, the little uh, thing underneath uh, for us has been talking about a gritty faith. I mean, this is true, that James addresses some very real, very gritty, very uh, kind of textured sort of things in our lives. Gritty faith. Anybody need some of that uh, in your life? Some gritty faith to face the things that you're facing. Anybody with me? Great. Six of you. Great. Um, And he's doing so in a way that it's not flowery, it's not, I mean, it is real talk. And so real talk, gritty faith is kind of the subtitle for us uh, when it comes to this. So uh, James here, uh, we talked about trials and uh, how when God, uh, excuse me, when uh, we need wisdom, God gives us wisdom and how we step into that and step into stewardship of the resources. This was last week. And today uh, we're going to pick up in verse uh, 12. And there's four big statements today. We'll walk them through in just a minute, but let's get through the text first. Chapter, uh, James chapter one, verse 12. If you need a Bible that you can put in your lap, feel free to grab one from the tech booth. If you are a user of the Bible app, you can open up the app and find our live event and track along. Here we go. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those uh, who love him. Uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, beloved brothers and sisters. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's of his own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Real talk about gritty faith. This is where we are uh, in James. Okay, and so four kind of statements today that will uh, get us, that, that James is going to very clear, it's real talk for us. Uh, for, first one is this, is that you and I need to keep the future, we need to keep the future um, in focus. Here we go, verse 12. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Um, Here's here's where we go with this. Um, Keep the future in focus. Why? Because God does not hold our comfort at the same value level as we hold our comfort. Anybody figure that out yet? Uh, We had a really weird day at the Henderson house yesterday. There was absolutely nothing on the schedule. No Saturday events at all. We woke up. We ate breakfast at like 10. Ate dinner, lunch at like 4.30. And I mean, the couch and some football on the TV and the recliner and kids just kind of doing what they want. I mean, like we did nothing the entire day. Yes, it's glory, glory. Let the church say amen. That was so odd. And then it turns to Sunday and it's a very full day. So, but that was so odd for us. And, and, and we just sat around like, oh, this is, this is crazy. Like this never happens to us. And we just 
well, I mean, I'm not sure that a couple of them actually got out of their pajamas. Like they went to bed in the same clothes that they... So, so here's what I'm saying as I work through that. Like in suburbia, in which this context in which we live, like security and comfort are the two primary values of our culture. God does not hold either of those, but in particular comfort at the same value level that we hold our comfort. In fact, he says, uh, uh, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Um, God will at times let us undergo things. He, he will let us walk through things. He will let us be challenged by things. He will even send us into moments where it's a little hard for us. Why? Because he doesn't value comfort the same way we do. And we need to be thinking like God is thinking. We need to be thinking about the future that is to come. If I were to say to you, I mean, you know this, if, but so, so let's just pretend here. If I were to say to you, hey, I know a parent who took their kid outside, threw them into the water with a complete stranger, and then left them there. What would you say? Call CPS. We need to get this. But if it's a swimming lesson, that's a completely different thing, yeah? You and I take our kids and throw them into the water with a complete stranger and then have to walk away because we're thinking about their future. We want them to be able to swim. There are times when God, because he is thinking about our future, will let us endure trials, let us encounter things along the way that you think to yourself, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Somebody call CPS. No, no, God does not value our comfort like we value our comfort. He's thinking about the future. And furthermore, God has a reward for those who remain steadfast in their love for him. Look at the end of verse 12. They will receive, uh, for when he has stood the test, he received the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Crown of life. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Anybody have any idea what it is? No, I, I don't either. I just want you to know, like, I don't know. But whatever it is, it sounds better than anything that I've got on my plate right now. God is going to give you the crown of life for those who remain steadfast in their love for him. And that reward, that um, kind of remuneration for the things that you experience and staying steadfast in those, that is going to be something worth waiting for. Keep the future in focus. One of the things that is a particular challenge to us, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the more we live here in this particular world, in our particular area, and even in our, in our culture, like our context, uh, the more addicted we are to like instant results. Previously, you paid Amazon money to become an Amazon Prime member to make sure that you got it in two days. Now, we're like, I ordered it 10 minutes ago. What do you mean it's not going to be here between 3 and 7? Am I wrong? You're mad that it won't be here this afternoon, but I need it. I don't want to get in the car and go drive to the store and buy it. I want you to deliver it to me. We live in that kind of instant society, microwaves, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. And so God has us thinking about some, he wants us to be focused on the future. Keep the future in focus because a hundred years from now, the way that we are faithful today will matter far, far more than the comfort we feel like we're giving up. That's real talk. Second. Look, look, look at verse 13. Second statement of real talk goes like this. Place blame where it belongs. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Place blame 
where it belongs. Uh, just, I want to highlight this for you so that you understand. Trials and temptations are the exact same word um, in, in the Greek word, in the Greek language. And so we've talked about trials, and in verse 12 he talks about it, in verses 2 to 4 he talks about it. We've talked about trials. And temptations, uh, it, it's the exact same word. There's some nuance there. Trials tend to come from the outside. Kind of we, when you encounter trials of various kinds, you're walking along the sidewalk and all of a sudden a trial comes up and finds you. Temptations are things that come from a very, very different source. But what we can't do either place is blame God for this. You, we don't get to, to blame God. Each person experiences it differently, but it's, it's, it's the same thing. There's some nuance there, but it's the same thing. Um, so he, here's, here's the, I think the challenge is that if we blame God, what happens is it shows a profound misunderstanding of his character and his promises. Look back at what it says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God can't be tempted with evil, meaning what? That God doesn't, here's, here's the misunderstanding about that. If you think that is the case, then God himself, you think that God lacks something, that God is somehow going to evolve into something else or devolve into something else. And the truth is, and he'll say it later, God's not going to change a bit. The reason why God can't be tempted is because God doesn't need anything. And the reason why you and I can say he tempts no one is because he's perfect. If God is perfect, then he doesn't um, uh, just lay out something in front of you and go, ha, 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 I'm going to get you this time. That's not it. God, God doesn't, does not tempt. Um, when we blame God, it shows our misunderstanding of him. And let me just give you some kind of um, uh, expressions of what this might sound like. <clears throat> Excuse me. God, you made me this way. You made me this way. And so I cannot be held responsible for my choices. Had you not made me this way, God, I wouldn't be sitting where I'm sitting. But you did. So don't hold me responsible. Secondly, God, you allowed this to happen to me. Maybe, this, maybe that's not it. Maybe this is. God, you allowed this to happen to me. And so I cannot be held responsible for my reactions. I mean, if you're the one in charge, God... Surely you know that I'd react like this. So why'd you let this happen? See, this is really about you, not about me. You can't blame me for reacting the way that I did when you let this happen to me. Or maybe it sounds like this. God, you gave this to me, and so I know that you want me to be happy with it. I'm sure, God, the reason why this is in my life right now is so that I can be happy with it. Thank you so much for giving it to me. I'm just going to go use it as I please. Or, God, you said what you said in order to take away the happiness that I have. And so, you, you God, are the one who's causing my pain. You're the one who's causing my unhappiness. You're the one who's causing my bitterness. And I'll be, I'll be perfectly fine holding on to it. In those situations right there, what you are doing is blaming God. God is not a good creator. He's just a creator, and he may have messed, messed you up, so you can't be held responsible. God is not a good ruler of the universe, and so he may have let the circumstances get a little sideways while he was checking on some other things. He's really concerned about some other stuff that is happening over here in the world. Took his eye off of you for a minute, and ah, it all went off the rails. God, I'm pretty sure that you can't hold me responsible for my reactions. God... 
I'm, you, you gave this to me, and I know that I'm holding on to this, n- not as something that maybe I need to let go of or, or set down, but instead, it's something that you want me to be happy with. I'm going to hold on to it. Don't blame me for holding on to it. You're the one who gave it to me. Or, God, you've said what you said because you don't want me to experience the joy that all of these other people are experiencing. That's what blaming God can, can sound like. The bottom line is this, that moral culpability, my moral responsibility before God gets passed off to him instead of me accepting it as my own. Um, Again, a complete misunderstanding of God and his promises. Place the blame where it belongs. And James is very clear, real talk, it's not on God. You, you can't blame, you can't blame God. There, there is a responsibility that each of us has to respond faithfully to God. To, as it says in verse 12, stand the test to remain steadfast continue to love him no matter what. That's real talk. Thirdly, what you have to do is you have to recognize the real problem. Pick back up in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And the desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So you got to recognize um, the real problem. Um, Typically, Christian teaching, this has been for a couple of millennia now, so this is not new. If you've been around church, maybe you've heard this. There's three kind of sources of brokenness uh, in the world, all of which are useful uh, to bring temptation into our lives. The first one is uh, the brokenness of my own flesh or my own self. This is my brokenness. I, I got stuff in my life because of things that have happened. I got stuff in my life because of choices that I made. I got stuff in my life because of proclivities that I have, whatever it may be. This is my own version of brokenness, the flesh. Secondly, the world. These, this is where systems of broken people get together. It's kind of organized flesh, if you will. And uh, these things these things are broken, and they're typically organized to benefit the people who designed the system in the first place, which promotes more brokenness and more brokenness and more brokenness. whole different sermon. And then lastly, so the flesh, the world, and the devil. That is, there is, a, there is an evil, uh, there's personified evil that is coming after us and will use broken people and broken systems to create chaos, disorder, bring destruction um, into the world. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, th- these are ways, um, these are environments, if you will, uh, that, that uh, uh, these things that we're going to talk about can come from. So he, here's where, here's how he describes it. Uh, pick back up in verse 14. Uh, but each person, don't blame God, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. What, what happens is that temptation, uh, the, the moment of temptation is pondering the possibility of the lie. Could it be that this thing that I am being asked to believe is actually the better way? Could it be that this way of thinking, this way of doing, this way of acting, this way of feeling, this way of being, this way of morality, this way of whatever, is actually the the better way than the way that God said? That's where temptation comes. And what happens is uh, the little little ember there gets blown on to, to bring heat. And so... Temptation is what happens when we, when we ponder um, the possibility. Can I just put a little caveat around here, just a little pastoral parentheses to say this. Um, just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're sinning. 
Sometimes the thought comes or the, the moment comes or whatever, and it comes in, it goes right out. You can let it go right out. We'll talk about when it crosses over here in just a second. But you, you have to know that um, temptation is when we ponder the possibility that this is, uh, th- that the lie may actually be better. Here's, here's, well, let me just, anybody like to go fishing? Anybody, you fishing? Anybody? Just come on. Be, be proud, people. Be proud. Okay. <clears throat> My kids like to go fishing sometimes. I don't, I don't love going fishing. I like catching fish. Who's with me? You know, there's a difference, right? Uh, but, but kids like going, and so we go, and we got a little pier thing. We go down there, and um, you go down, and you start casting. You know, get a little bait, stick it on there, get a little bait, stick it on there. And, and you know, depending upon who's kind of feeling what they're in the moment, is that uh, my littlest one, hands down, doesn't really go for the fishing. She goes for the social interaction which makes sometimes fishing a little difficult, you know, because there's a lot of talking and walking and stuff. Anyway, so you get that. Well, I mean, this is several months ago now, uh, but she, she gets to the point where she has absolutely no bait on the line at all. Zero. Just the hook. And she throws it out there. What you doing, man? Oh, I'm just fishing. You don't have any bait. I know. Throws it out. Reels it in. Drops it down, lets the bobber float a minute. The bobber goes under. She brings up a fish. Now, it's a little bitty fish. I mean, it's like a fishlet. But, I mean, it's, she brings up a fish having absolutely zero bait on the line. So, let's, let's be clear. Sometimes that happens. The vast majority of the time, though, how do you catch fish? You use bait. You put a lure on there, you toss it out, you reel in it, and the little spinny thing that's flashy for the fish, they're like, oh, that looks delicious. And then they jump on it, and this is what happens. You have to be drawn into it. Every so often, you drop a hook in the water, and yes, a fish will just magically jump on it. Most of the time, most of the time, what happens? There's a lure. There's bait. There's something that draws you in. This is what James is talking about here. Every so often, you and I stick it in the ditch, just full out on our own because we're idiots. That's true. But the vast majority of the time, each one, each person is tempted considering the possibility, pondering the possibility of the lie when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So here's what some of those lures may sound like. Here's the flashy, spinny thing in the water that's catching your attention. I'm not so sure that God is as good or as powerful as he says he is. I'm just not so sure that he's as good or as powerful. If he was good, I'm not sure this would be ha- If he was powerful, I'm not sure this would be happening. Therefore, I'm not so sure he's as powerful or as good as he says he is. That's a little spinny thing catching your eye. Or, I'm not sure that God cares all that much. Again, his eye has been turned away and he's worried about Ukraine and inflation and stuff. And my little life... I, th- I think I may have just fallen below the fold there. If you're in the room, if you're watching online, uh, you may say, uh, I'm not even sure God exists. And some of you may have that quandary in your own life. But if you're in the room, probably not. You're just not sure that he actually he exists, but he may not care. How about this one? Uh, this is a fairly recent development, I think, uh, just in terms of our culture, but it has shown up multiple places. My access to knowledge validates my opinion. 
I mean, I got Google. And I read something. And it said what I wanted it to say. Therefore, my opinion is valid. Again, this is a this is another one, although it is um, maybe not as recent in development, but sincerity is my trump card. Well, yeah, but I really mean this. I, I feel like I really need this. But church family, let's just be clear. Sincerity, I mean, it may be very, very real, but it is only half of virtue. I mean, because you can be sincerely wrong. Two more. That lures in the water, spinny things to catch your eye and hopefully get you to bite. To, to ponder the possibility of the lie. Success, whatever that looks like, success means that God's in it. Because obviously God wants me to be happy. Of course he does. And so if success is happening, then guess what? Then it's obviously that God is in this. Or, and uh, probably more um, in recent days, it's expressed itself uh, as a part of our therapeutic kind of approach to life and culture. Well, it's been really, really hard for me. Therefore, I am entitled to, and you fill in the blank. I, I mean, it's been really hard. Tell me, really hard. Therefore, I'm entitled to hold on to my bitterness. I'm entitled to one more glass before bedtime. I, I, I'm entitled to, to keep these things for me and not share them with you, whatever it may be. Like, I'm entitled to those things because it's been so hard. You have to recognize the real problem. Okay, so. Temptation is where we ponder the possibility of the lie. And again, that little ember gets blown. You blow on that ember. And that ember is the ember of desire. And that, that desire, if it catches, if it catches, that, that's when we kind of enter in. Because desire, it says, look at verse uh, 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 15. Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Temptation comes along and it's, it's hoping to catch you in that. It's putting the lure in the water. It's blowing on the ember. Whatever metaphor you need to, to get it. Um, and sin is what happens when, uh, when um, you kind of embrace it. When, when you step over the threshold into that and go, yeah, I think that is the case. I think I would be better off um, without this. Desire conceives sin. It meets this threshold um, when it does so, when, when I indulge it. When I embrace the desire as a better path than God's commands, than God's wisdom, than God's revelation, um, but just because I want it doesn't mean it's good, but I'm just going to embrace it because this is what I think is good. Desire conceives sin when, when it is indulged, when it is embraced. And last part of this, please don't miss verse 15. When desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, does what? It brings forth death. Church family, p please hear how serious that is to James. I am not trying to overplay this, overstate it, uh, mess you up with it. I'm not trying to send you home with a big, a big wagon of guilt or shame. Sin is serious business, though. Its desire is to bring forth 
this. Not poverty, not frustration, uh, not bitterness, not depression, none of those things. Those things may be steps along the way, but where is it ultimately leading you? It's ultimately leading you to death. That's what it desires for you. That's what it will cause in you. That's, that's why we don't, we don't flirt with it. We don't play with it. We don't take just a little bit and hang on to it. We bring it out and we go, oh, no, this is the case. Why? Because sin brings death. It brings death only and it brings death always. Look at how he describes it. When sin is fully grown, it really does grow. It's like it is the cancer of our spiritual lives. It grows in its depth, meaning like it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's why addicts need more and more and more of whatever they're addicted to to have the same feeling of that. Like you, you need more of whatever it may be in order to, to, uh, uh, to feel the same things that you feel to maintain that kind of feeling. It grows in its depth and we become more and more dependent on that, as it, uh, on the quantity of it. It also grows in its width, meaning it, mes- it metastasizes so that it shows up in different places. You are uh, um, a liar in one place and it shows up in cheating on your taxes in a different place. You are a, a person who lacks integrity over here and it shows up in a completely different way over here. It metastasizes. It grows in its depth as well as its width. And what is its ultimate end? It's not for your good, church family. It's not. Sin brings forth, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. That's, that's all it's after. It's death. It brings forth death. I, I don't know. S- some of you have grown up um, in the southeast. Maybe you've encountered this before. This little plant called kudzu. Anybody? Kudzu? Kudzu? Yeah, yeah. A few of you. Kudzu is a vine, apparently, that they imported from Japan after World War II. They thought it was really pretty. Good ground cover. It's good ground cover, all right. It certainly is. Uh, it grows like, um, you know, they measure at times feet by the day. I mean, that kind of thing. Like you can almost stand there and, oh, well, what are you going to do? Stand there and watch grass grow? You can almost stand there and watch the kudzu grow. You really can't. And it does crazy stuff like this, like a one little vine becomes all of this. And so it just takes over this kind of field, takes over those bushes, takes over those trees. I mean, it's just absolutely covering the place. Now, the problem is uh, not that kudzu is kudzu. The pro- kudzu is just doing what kudzu does. It's just kudzuing itself because that's what it is and what it does. The problem is, is that it grows on top of that tree. And what happens to the tree? It, it cannot get the light that it needs. It cannot get the water that it needs. It cannot do the things that the tree needs. It's just growing up on the tree and ultimately it will cover that tree. And what will happen when it is smothering that tree? What will happen ultimately? That tree will, say it with me, that tree will, it brings forth death. It brings forth death. You you don't mow this. You don't go out with a little clipper and just, no, 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 no. If you're going to deal with it, you got to kill it. You go on the web, you go to Google Images, and you're like, kudzu. And it shows like covering cars, covering houses, covering all sorts of stuff. There's not enough Roundup in the world to take this stuff out. That's what I'm telling you. You have to go after it. You got to cut it and you got to kill it. Why? Because otherwise it will bring forth death. It will strangle trees. This is what happens. 
desire, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Nothing other than that. This is what it's after. And so he says in verse 16, therefore, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't don't be deceived about the nature of sin. It's not cute. It's not something to toy with. It's not something to flirt with. It's not something to tolerate. You have to kill it. And don't be deceived about the nature of God. God's not setting you out there to go, oh, yes, yes, yes. you're going to have to deal with that. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's not it. Don't be deceived about him, about his nature, or about the nature of sin. Instead, what what do you do? Like, I've, I've encountered this. I've experienced this. What do I do now? I reach out. I reach out to the God who redeems. That's what I do. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect in every every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change it says three things about god if you want to reach out to the god who like okay i recognize the real problem and then what do i do real talk says you reach out to the god who can do something about this this is the god who redeems what does it say about him first of all it says he's good every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's not coming from the, the promise of sin. It's not coming from the places where we would go uh, to achieve that or to, to um, experience that. It's coming from Him. He is good. He's good. And some of you think, He's good to that person. What I know, having walked with God for the years that I've walked with God, and what I know from having watched you walk with God for the years that you've watched with God, is that I don't always have the best read, the clearest perspective on what's good and what's bad. There are times when God will let you, God will let me experience things that I, in the moment, say, this is hard, this is not good, this is bad. And a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, a decade from now, we look back and we go, yes, hard, yes, good. I may need to be careful on what I call good and what I call bad. I may not have the best perspective on it. He is good. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from him. Why would he do such a thing? He says he comes down from the Father of lights. The Father of lights. He is your Father. He is your Father. Every good and every perfect comes down from above, from the Father of lights. He's your Father. There, meaning what? There's nothing that has hit your front door. I mean, there's nothing that's sitting on your porch right now that is not filtered by your Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Well, I don't like the gift that he gave me. Okay. Take that up with him. He would actually probably like to have a conversation about that with you. And lastly, he's faithful 
from, come down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Father of Lights is this picture. You can go outside. Some of you have been outside in the country, not in Houston, but in, in the country. You can actually see stars and stuff. And, and uh, you, you look up. And the, the people of old, they would think, oh, man, I don't know what those are, but they've got to be some sort of heavenly somethings, something beings. But what they know is that, that that one was right there. But now, three days later, five days later, a week later, it's kind of over here. Like it does shift. James is saying, hey, in God, there's not even the most imperceptible shift. Not, not, not even like the littlest bit of variation. What that means, church family, is that if you find who he is today, he will be the same thing as he will be tomorrow. If you, if you can look back on your life and say, God, I see that you were this way. I see that you were good. I see that you were right. I see that you were true. I see that you were faithful. I see that you are merciful and gracious and just and right. You look back on that and you see that and you go, today he is that as well. And tomorrow when I need, guess what? He's going to do that. He's going to be that as well. God, you have seen me through these things. And today I believe you can see me through this. And tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow holds, I believe you will be able to see me through. He is faithful. There is not an iota of shift in his character, not in a single one. He's faithful. This is why you call out to him. Because if I struggle with my sin, if, I, if I'm experiencing temptation and I'm coming to him going, God, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to dig out of this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. What I find is a God who is faithful to me and says, hey, I'm with you in this. I'm going to help you bear this. I'm going to help you walk through this. Oh, you need forgiveness. Good news. I got forgiveness. Look, look at how he describes it. Verse 18, of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation of his own will meaning like if i experience all the things that we've been talking about and then i reach out to the god who redeems what i find is that god already had his binoculars kind of trained on me and he's just waiting for me to reach out and i experience him as the good father who is faithful to help me to forgive me to to bring me through the situation whatever i find this is what i come to know to be true Of his own will, not my will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of creation, this this redeemed offering that we're giving our lives to him. Nowhere do you see this to be more true than the cross. Nowhere. God looks down on a humanity that is just bent on self-destruction. And he, he sends Jesus and he's good. And you know, we, we may think, oh, that was a terrible day. And it was a terrible day. Jesus died. The most unjust thing that ever happened, the, the worst injustice perpetrated in the entire history of the world happened on that day. And still we call it Good Friday. Why would he do it? Because he's a father who wants to bring his children to him. He's good. And he's a father what we find is no matter what I have behind me, no matter what is in the, 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 the back here that I'm hauling around, no matter what I'm carrying around, whatever I bring to him, he is faithful to receive me and to help me with whatever I have going on. You need forgiveness? He's got forgiveness. You need help? He's got help. You need wisdom? He's got wisdom. You need mercy? Oh, <laughs> he's got mercy. There's this beautiful verse, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It talks about how the Lord 
waits to rise with compassion on those who seek him. The, the picture is God's just kind of on the edge of that seat. And when you come in looking for mercy, he's like spring-loaded to go, okay, let's do this. You think, you think that there's a God in the universe who could be like that? And I'm telling you, there is a God in the universe who is exactly like that and even better. So you need mercy today. He's got mercy. Wisdom, he's got wisdom. Help, deliverance, whatever it may be. You can take all of that junk, all of it, and you can bring it to God. And he's just on the edge of his seat, ready. Ready. Because he's good. He's your father. And he's faithful. So I'm going to offer a prayer for us. And I want you to know that if, if you cry out to God, He's ready to hear you and to respond. If you're here today or watching online and you've never given your life to Christ, today can be the day that you can call out to God and he will bring you into his family. Not because of you, but because of Jesus and what he's done for you. Let me pray for us and then we'll have a song about the goodness, incredible goodness of God. And then we'll uh, be dismissed in just a few moments. Would you join me in praying? I'm... Father, as we've um, studied now, we've looked at your word, and you've spoken to us, I pray that you would help us. Just help us. God, help us to believe. If we're struggling to believe, help us to believe. If the kind of encouragement we need today, if we can receive that in this room today, Wherever you're watching online, you can receive that today. God, then give us that encouragement. So many things. It just it, These days are full of lures in the water trying to catch our attention, trying to spark in us something to turn away from you. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and you alone. You brought us forth by the word of truth. You did so by your will, and you did so that, so that we would be the first fruits of your creation, a kind of redeemed offering to you. God, we want to offer our very lives to you, no matter how much, is, uh, like how much weight we're carrying. Maybe it's shame or guilt. Maybe it's um, uh, a sense of lostness or um, w- whatever it may be, a despair even. Would you help us? Show yourself to be not only everything that we, be, we need, but far greater than that. And I pray specifically, Father, for anybody who's in the room, anybody who's watching online, who doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they call out to you. And you, the God of salvation, the one who brings us forth by the word of truth, you would do that for them. Thank you, God, for being a good and faithful father to us. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.